Just get up off the ground. That's all I ask. Get up there with that lady that's up on top of this Capitol Dome, that lady that stands for liberty. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. And you won't just see scenery. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. And fighting for something better than just jungle law. Fighting so as he can stand on his own two feet, free and decent, like he was created. No matter what his race, color, or creed. That's what you'd say. There's no place out there for graft, or greed, or lies, or compromise with human liberties. And that, if that's what the grown-ups have done with this world that was given to them, then we better get those boys' camps started fast and see what the kids can do. And it's not too late. Because this country is bigger than the tailors, or you, or me, or anything else. Great principles don't get lost once they come to light. They're right here. You just have to see them. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough, and I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, and reclaiming her time, is the distinguished gentlewoman from Nevada, my lovely wife, Nikia, also known as the unenthusiastic critic. Hello. It's election day here in the States, and we're waiting with bated breath to see whether the American people are going to turn up at the polls and throw out the cowardly, craven, and corrupt cocksuckers who seem determined to turn our nation into an autocratic white nationalist police state. Nikki and I have already cast our optimistic but probably futile votes, and now, while we wait for the results to roll in, we're retreating into a slightly more hopeful view of American democracy. Frank Capra's 1939 classic, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Nikia, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling like I need a little Capra-esque American idealism I think you need to change your whole intro. It was very negative. <laughs> it was not Capra-esque. I'm sorry, are you feeling particularly I think positive about the state of American democracy at the moment? Not at the moment, but I do think that we need to be positive and encouraging about the, the franchise. So recognizing that there are folks in power who are doing just about every damn thing that they can to suppress the vote, we should be, you know... So I shouldn't refer to our votes as futile? You should not be referring to our votes as futile. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's a fair point, I guess. I think it's important that we are encouraging and that we say that, you know, yes, we are living in disillusioning times. And yes, we are all facing an electoral structure that is inherently flawed. But, you know, voting is an important moment for not just sort of individual action, but collective action. And it is one, you know, step along a continuum of advocacy and action that we can participate in to try to right some wrongs, try to change the direction of things. (laughs) Okay, well, it actually sounds like you are in precisely the right spirit to watch this movie today. It is difficult. I have to remind myself every day. Um, But, you know, we both did early voting this year. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fact that we did it, I feel like that means that we believe in it at least a little bit. So uh, Obviously, we do. I think I am just determined to prepare for the worst this year. Mm-hmm. And then anything good, that literally anything good that happens is going to be a pleasant surprise. I am de- As opposed to, say, the last election. Sure. I am determined to be celebrating the election of Stacey Abrams. I am determined to be celebrating the election of Andrew Gillum. I am determined to be celebrating the election of Beto, because otherwise... See, the problem is I remember sitting on the couch with you November 8th, 2016. Mm -hmm. And before the results came in, if I made the slightest suggestion that Trump could win... You almost literally stuck your head in the sand and refused to to hear. No, that's not true. I wanted to believe that that 
wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you were like, nope, nope, I don't want to hear it. Nope. But <laughs> it's not going to happen. I Can't knew happen. That it Can't was possibly happen. Very possible because I know I know what this country is. You I've know never, what country you live yes, in. I've never been, uh, you know, under the illusion that white supremacy and patriarchy weren't sort of the undergirding forces mm-hmm. of our country. You know, unlike many of our esteemed media outlets and journalists, <laughs> I wasn't thinking, oh, haha, isn't this funny? This is never going to happen. And fellow liberals and fellow across liberals. the board. Mm-hmm. As in, oh, yeah, that could definitely happen, but don't say it out loud. Just <laughs> 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 not right now. Let's just hold out hope. But yeah. But this is good. This is a new dynamic in our relationship in that you are, are being the positive, optimistic one. I mean... Aren't black people always? Like, we are realistic in saying this country is capable of unimaginable evil. But I'm going to go out and do the work that I need to do Mm -hmm. to try and and stem that tide. So, trying to be positive. (laughs) 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 Trying really, really hard. Let's send you to Congress. I can't can't go. Why not? Well, one, I would my my family wouldn't make it past the any kind of background checks. Um, so. <laughs> I think that I feel like that's less important than it used to be. Not, I mean, if it's you're like, no, yeah. I mean, they got Stacey Abrams on student loans. Like, if that's, yeah, that's the, like, the worst of her shit, no, I wouldn't make it past day one. No, I, I would enjoy watching a press conference with you. See, yeah, I would be worse than Maxine Waters because <laughs> I would end up fighting someone. So I think the swearing could be a problem. The swearing would definitely be a problem. The honesty, the honesty could be, would be a, problem. a problem. I just see myself like climbing over one of those hearing tables to just choke <laughs> the shit out of somebody. So I just, mm-mm. I know my lane. We're, we're going to draft you to run, though. <laughs> you will be the unenthusiastic candidate. <laughs> that's, that's not good. See, that's the other piece. It's like now everybody's like, oh, anyone can run. And I don't know that that should really be... What do you want? Like qualifications or something? That would be great. <laughs> qualifications other than I'm a billionaire would be fantastic. <laughs> but, you know. Okay. Well, what what do you actually know about this movie? I mean, I know the basic plot. So okay. Jimmy Stewart plays a newly elected or appointed, I think, maybe, senator who finds that Congress is deeply corrupt. And I think they use him to, like try to pass this really terrible bill uh, and somehow Boy Scouts or something are involved. <laughs> and he ends up filibustering for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And that's all I know. I don't know if it ends on a positive note or a negative note. Okay. I don't know if he successfully defeats Congress, which I doubt. But Okay, so this movie was, again, the year is 1939. Uh, the movie was based on an unpublished short story by Lewis R. Foster, alternately titled The Gentleman from Montana or The Gentleman from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he was probably trying to sell this story and he titled it for a couple of different audiences or changed his mind or something. The film is deliberately vague about what state Jefferson Smith is from, mm-hmm. but it's a western rural state, obviously. Um, is written by Sidney Buckman and directed, of course, by quintessential American director Frank Capra. Familiar to everyone on the planet, <laughs> even you, I think. Even me. From perennial Christmas favorite, It's a Wonderful Life. That's a... You have seen that, right? I'm not 100% sure. Of course I've seen it. I've seen it many, many times <laughs> okay. to the point where I was like, okay, I can't watch I, that I can anymore. never assume that with you. I have. That's a fucking wrist slitter there. That's just a, that's a rough one. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk, because this is what I think is interesting about that. Okay. So everyone talks about Capra as this kind of cornball Americana no, he's kinda dark. idealist. It's dark as yeah, shit. Yeah, that's, that's a dark film. That movie is incredibly dark. And this movie, again, is sort of playing both sides of the coin, mm-hmm. where you have this kind of the idealism versus this total cynicism and corruption right. and just misery. But yeah, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life, our favorite Christmas movie, is... About a guy who hates his life so much, he, he wants, wants to, to kill himself. Yeah. And as several critics have pointed out, his killing himself is the logical end to that movie. Mm-hmm. And Capra had to go to this supernatural fantasy place <laughs> to get out of that. Right. Oh, now there's this guardian angel coming from in above. to solve the yeah. problem. That is a realistic story ends with Jimmy Stewart jumping off the bridge yes. in disgrace. Yes. And even with the ending that we get, first of all, it's clear that this one guy's life is the only thing that kept 
Bedford Falls from being Pottersville. Talk about economic anxiety. <laughs> Jesus, those folks. And second of all, predatory uh, lending. What's what's who's the evil old guy? The bank guy. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Um, Mr. Burns. Montgomery Burns. <laughs> what the hell is his name? Uh, hold on. Mr. Potter. I just said Pottersville. Yeah. It's Mr. Potter. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Mr. Potter, of course. Yes. He is not punished at the end of that movie. That's the rare movie from that time period in which the villain does not get what's coming to him. Mm-hmm. I you mean, know who else wasn't punished? Wall Street or the banks. <laughs> okay. To the so this is my point, recession. is that there's an actual cynicism <laughs> at the heart of all these Frank Capra movies that are remembered now as being... Warm and fuzzy stories. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So Capro is an interesting guy, and we can talk about it more after the movie. But as Barry Gowen wrote in his review of a Capra biography in the New York Times, probably no filmmaker ever dominated an era the way Frank Capra dominated his. During the 1930s, at the peak of his powers and success, he won three Academy Awards and was Hollywood's most highly paid director. He also served as president of both the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and the Screen Directors Guild. Time Magazine put him on on its cover. The Philip Morris Company used him to peddle cigarettes. <laughs> the film critic from London's Daily Express thought that Capra's political influence was potentially as great as Franklin D. Roosevelt's. Wow. And the question of what Capra's actual political beliefs were seems to be this kind of unanswered question. Mm-hmm. Some of his friends remember him and described him as a liberal, even a radical. Hmm. But he said he never voted for Roosevelt. He was a staunch anti-communist. He may or may not have been an informer for the FBI on communist activities. So there's, and I I think it's something we could talk about in the movie because this kind of common man fighting against big government, Mm -hmm. whether that's a democratic ideal or a Republican ideal is one of those things that can go both ways. I mean, yeah, both of them claim that in different ways, yeah. Right. This movie was incredibly controversial. Even before the script was written... Joseph Breen, the head of the Hayes office, the basically mm-hmm. the censorship body in Hollywood, warned the studios against adapting this short story. He said, We would urge most earnestly that you take serious counsel before embarking on the production of any motion picture based on this story. It looks to us like one that might well be loaded with dynamite, both for the motion picture industry and for the country at large. He specifically objected to the generally unflattering portrait of our system of government, which might well lead to such a picture being considered both here and more particularly abroad as a covert attack on the democratic form of government. They thought it was going to start a revolution. Basically, Hmm. he said he warned that any version of this story on film should take efforts to make clear that the Senate is made up of a group of fine, upstanding citizens who labor long and tirelessly for the best interests of the nation. Mitch McConnell. (laughs) (laughs) And when the film premiered uh, October 1939, they had a screening at the National Press Club, to which some 4,000 guests were invited, including 45 senators. And according to Capra's autobiography, though the reality of this seems to be a little bit in question, about half of the senators walked out in anger. <laughs> and people came out against this. The movie was attacked by the Washington press, by politicians in the U.S. Congress, as anti-American and pro-communist, because it showed Congress as a fundamentally corrupt mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. Alban W. Barkley, a Democrat and the Senate Majority Leader, called the film silly and stupid and said it makes the Senate look like a bunch of crooks. He called it a grotesque distortion and said it showed the Senate as the biggest aggregation of Dincom poops on record. That picture is a libel upon the Senate of the United States and upon the individual members of the body, said Senator Kenneth McKellar of Tennessee. Senator James Burns of South Carolina said the thing was outrageous, exactly the kind of picture that dictators of totalitarian governments would like to have their subjects believe exists in a democracy. Joe Kennedy, who was then ambassador to Great Britain, begged that they not show the movie in Europe, expressing the fear that it would damage America's reputation abroad. It's so weird to hear these quotes right now, given where we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This idea of this fear of embarrassing America in the Mm -hmm. face of dictators and authoritarians abroad, when we basically said that an arms deal was more important than a journalist's life. Mm -hmm. And... 
Yeah, no, this was this was a time when we still had a reputation. Well, to that's protect. I'm wondering if this film is going to see And when the idea of portraying government as corrupt was this radical notion mm-hmm. that was going to disillusion the world about who America actually was. But you don't even need art to do that now. They are doing it on their own yeah. and they're doing it very proudly because they can get away with it and because the goal is you pillage the country for everything that it's worth and then you get the hell out and that's it. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like this is going to seem very quaint in comparison. <laughs> I mean, when you have numerous members, former members of an administration who are under investigation, who are who are just sort of blatantly corrupt. I feel like you've lost your, your Capra-esque spirit there a little I'm bit. I'm trying to hold on to it. I really, really <laughs> am trying to hold on to it. But it's against the law to send the military to enforce immigration law. Yes, Posse comitatus. Like you just can't, it's not allowed. Yeah, no, we're going to do it anyway, though. But you know where we couldn't send troops and we couldn't send help? Was New Orleans after Katrina or mm-hmm. Puerto Rico yeah. after Maria. Uh, okay, I think I think I've broken you now. <laughs> I think this was, you were in such an optimistic mood when well, we started. that never lasts long. <laughs> so all that controversy pretty much died when it became clear that critics and audiences loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a big hit. It was pretty much universally acclaimed across the boards and still is to this day it's number 26 on the afi's list of the greatest american films of all time jefferson smith jimmy stewart's character is at number 11 on their list of greatest american movie heroes behind atticus (laughs) i'm assuming atticus everybody's behind atticus Atticus is number one on that list probably (laughs) Uh, i think indiana jones though is pretty high on that list too so take it with a grain of salt (laughs) Mr. Smith Goes to Washington was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, but won only one for its story. This was, 1939 was the most notoriously competitive year in Oscar history. Uh, In addition to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington that year, The Wizard of Oz, Wuthering Heights, Stagecoach, Ninotchka of Mice and Men, Dark Victory, and your favorite, Gone with the Wind, were all battling it out for Oscars that year. Um, Closer to your heart, I think the cultural legacy of this film includes three or four Simpsons episodes have done (laughs) variations on this. Yes. Uh, Some of them I have not seen. I had to look at the Wikipedia page, but, you know, apparently there's one where Krusty the Clown becomes a senator. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. But the one I remember is the one where Lisa wins the essay contest and goes to Washington. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, finds out it's all a lie. Finds out it's all a lie, and she has that thing where she's talking to the statue of Abraham Lincoln. Actually, she tries to go to the Lincoln Memorial, and there are too many people at the Lincoln <laughs> Memorial doing the same thing, and so she ends up going to the Jefferson <laughs> Memorial. But that's all riffing on this movie too. So, all right. So, what are you what are you actually expecting from this experience? I mean, so far it's bumming me out already. Um... <laughs> I mean, I'm expecting, I, I'm a fan of Capra, I'm a fan of Jimmy Stewart. I think, again, I think it's going to seem quaint, given where we are as a country and how, how sort of how far we've gone. I'm wondering if it'll seem surprisingly not quaint. I'm curious it's to a, see that. I mean, Capra is definitely capable of it's... making me feel terrible, so. <laughs> okay, well, let's go watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Okay. It's news. When Frank Capra, master of human emotion, turns his camera on official Washington to capture all its deep human drama, to tell the amazing story of a small-town boy from nowhere who suddenly finds himself catapulted into the forefront of the day's news, playing a leading role in one of the nation's biggest dramas, finding romance and heartbreak in a picture that will make you laugh and cry, thrill you, touch you, get you by the throat. So you want to be a senator, huh? You go to build a camp on Willow Creek. See this? Deficiency bill. Section number 40. A dam going up where you think your camp's going to be. That's why they sent you here in the first place, because you don't know a dam from a bathtub. All right, sir, I guess I'll just have to speak to the people of my state from right here. And I'll tell you one thing, the wild horses aren't going to drag me off this floor until those people have heard everything I've got to say, even if it takes all winter. Filibuster! A filibuster. This is the miracle I wanted. What are you got? Farrell, just get everything he's saying back to that home state, This is Columbia's H.V. Cottonborn again, back on the Senate firing line where history is in the making. Senator Smith has now talked for 23 hours and 16 minutes. 
But those tired boy ranger legs are buckling, bleary-eyed, voice gone. He can't go on much longer, and all official Washington is here to be in on the kill. Stop, Jeff, stop! Okay, during the break, Nakia and I watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And Nakia, I am feeling much more idealistic now. Mm -hmm. I have much more faith in the political system. Mm-hmm. I am patriotic. You sound like it. How did you get along with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? I liked it. That sounded like a qualified <laughs> like. <laughs> it's no, it's I really did enjoy it. Um it was a, you know, and this is this is going to sound really sort of condescending, but it was, you know, a nice little slice of Americana, but I think I'm in too cynical of a place <laughs> to be seduced by its charms. Well, it's a fairly cynical movie, though. It is, and it isn't in some ways. It is in the sort of government versus politics argument, right? Of, like, government is this pure system built on the ideals of the founding fathers that is supposed to support the common man, whereas politics is all of the sort of cynical and, and self-serving mm, dealings that happen. Right. But I think, I guess in the not naming, right? And I and I understand why he does it. Why he does? Why there's never any the words Republican or or Democrat are right. not used at all right. in the film. And I I understand why that choice was made because because the viewer then gets sort of caught up in being one or the other and sort of identifying with one or the other, right. picking sides, right? And it allows this sort of timeless again argument about the pursuit of moral ideals over politics. Mm-hmm. But standing from where I'm standing, it's it's hard to sort of get wrapped up in the, the purity of that. And particularly, this unchallenged idealization of the founding fathers and of the founding documents. Uh-huh. I knew this was coming. <laughs> like, I get it. Again, I get it. <laughs> yes. Liberty and justice and equality. Like, underline equality, right? Yeah. But, like, so it's just like... So that's it's hard for me to sort of get caught up in the, you know, swelling music of the Star Spangled Banner or whatever the hell, because it's just like, well. When Jimmy Stewart is giving his passion right. speech to 96 white men exactly. in the Senate. And I get again, I get it. <laughs> but these are documents that were written with the express exclusion of many citizens of this country. I mean, yes, the film, the film is very much coming from this mindset that the system itself as designed is this wonderful thing Mm -hmm. and what's happened is those ideals have been relinquished those ideals have been trampled on Mm -hmm. through greed and corruption and etc right but i mean jimmy stewart is the oddball in this world Mm mm-hmm It's not like everybody thinks the way Jimmy Stewart does, except for these couple of corrupt politicians. It's not a one bad egg kind of movie. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a one good egg kind of movie Mm -hmm. where everyone else is corrupt, which is kind of remarkable for for 1939. Portrayal of Congress as a body is a corrupt thing? Yes. Okay. But it's also not just Congress. I mean, he's also indicting these other sort of institutions like the media as yeah, well. the media was not any happier with this film than <laughs> than Congress was. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, Frank Capra claimed that after this movie, he basically had to himself recreate the scene where he, you know, was getting in a fight with reporters mm-hmm. in the press club and stuff like that. That they were not happy with him. <laughs> I mean, I think what's interesting when you look at the ending and this idea of whether or not it's a cynical portrayal of democracy or at the very least a cynical portrayal of back dealings that you know hide under the umbrella of democracy is the ending scene um where after 24 hours of filibuster mm-hmm. senator Payne is sort of finally broken right and he runs out of the chamber and attempts suicide apparently yeah. which and misses somehow We're dramatic. Not sure. well yeah. shoots like a chandelier so it's like i'm not quite sure where he was aiming <laughs> A page boy grabbed it yeah. or something. I don't like, know what happened out there. It was a very there. sort of dramatic, <laughs> quite arguably overstated, <laughs> overreaction to the situation. But this, that he was so sort of overcome with shame at, you know, how far he had strayed from his ideals and that 
That Smith had somehow sort of shown a mirror on the hypocrisy of it all. Right. And he seems to be the only one that was deeply affected by that. And then he so he storms back into the chamber and sort of admits his involvement in the corruption. And then that's sort of it. So there's no... So what happens after that? Is he ejected from Congress? Is he... Is the entire body of Congress then changed and now going to move forward in a more sort of moralistic right. way? So, and it's and the answer is no. That bill will probably still pass, and Congress will still probably operate as it had been operating before. Well, okay. So the ending, there were scenes originally shot mm-hmm. following that up. The film apparently showed the Taylor political machine being dismantled coming Mm. out of this, that, you know, people went to jail and stuff and all of that Mm -hmm. was rooted out, that corruption. (laughs) Um, There were scenes of Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur Saunders, obviously together, Mm -hmm. going to visit his mother and going to a big parade back in the home state, wherever the home state was. The no-name state, yes. So it did... did there was an ending that apparently they just decided, yeah, the climax is that scene and we're just going to end it there. Right. Cut the rest of it off. But the ending is, again, we talked before with It's a Wonderful Life about the guardian angel mm-hmm. that Capra needed to go to that place to solve, to resolve the issues that he'd set up in that film. It's kind of the same thing here. If Claude Rains doesn't have that last minute change of heart, mm-hmm. then they won. The corrupt Taylor machine won. Right. They had broken him. Right. I mean, because the scene before that is he's been waiting for all of these. He thought pe- people were going to listen to him, hear what, hear his message, right. there would be some rise up and demand yeah. justice. And what happens instead is the political machine has rallied support on the other side. And right. they bring in 50,000 telegrams calling Jimmy Stewart a crook. And mm-hmm. he's broken at that point. He's mm-hmm. lost. Unless Claude Rains suddenly does a complete 180, right, and changes his whole character, and you know, see, my I would say he's still lost. Like he may have succeeded in shaming Rains enough, mm-hmm. but I don't know that he succeeded in changing the trajectory of that Congress. Well, I mean, and I know I said I, I overstated it a few minutes ago. There is the suggestion that there are good senators in the Congress. That he is sort of convincing people mm-hmm. towards the end of the movie. They're actually listening to him. There are a few senators who sort of argue with Claude Rains's character, Senator Payne, and say, sounds to me like the kid is making sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should look into this further. Maybe we should not pass this bill, etc. And the president of the Senate, played by Harry Carey... He just seems amused. Is... <laughs> the entire time. He he is obviously a fan. He is he is on Jimmy Stewart's side, slyly from the podium. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, they, I mean, now it's, it just seems like you're just all cynical again. Well, I mean, that was just going to happen. Uh, that's my default setting. But I, no, because I, I, <laughs> I get it. I get how it is, this sort of celebration of the ideals of democracy, you know, based on this foundation built by the Founding Fathers And I guess it's hard for me to get over the fact that that foundation was built on inequity and, like, built to perpetuate inequity. So when I see a Congress working the way that the Congress in that film does, I'm like, well, that is the system actually working the way that it was intended to work. You don't see it as an aberration. I don't see it as an aberration. You don't see it as a corruption. You see it as... That's what the system was sort of built to do. I mean, right, just the very structure of the Senate, right? Like, that was a compromise with slave states. Right. <laughs> so it's just so... Right, everybody gets two right. votes, right. So this idea that, oh, you're working against the nature of what this this body was built for, you're, or you're working against the ideals upon which this, this body was founded. Well, it was... Those ideals were meant to profit landowning white men. And so if there's an appropriations bill for somebody to make some money off of a dam then that is the system working. And this idea of a boys camp that would somehow be paid for by kids sending in pennies, I just didn't understand his bill at all. Like I get You don't I, think it's a good bill? I mean, the idea is nice, I guess yeah, boys should and again, very explicitly boys, not girls. Boys should have a camp in the woods where they can go and learn to be boys and grow up to be better men, fine. But like Kids sending in nine cents here and there is going to pay for this little camp. I, just, I didn't really understand that plan, but, you know, sure. 
That just wouldn't have been the hill I was going to die on if I was. Sorry. <laughs> so, as several people, you talked about the party thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably Jimmy Stewart and Claude Rains's party and this corrupt party is probably the Democrats mm-hmm. because this whole deficiency bill thing, the the public works project aspect of you know building a dam out in the middle of nowhere. That whole thing is very Roosevelt, New Deal, Mm -hmm. Prussian era stuff. So if the film has any kind of party bias, it's probably looking at that, looking at the Democrats and this sort of New Deal, big government tent Mm -hmm. as being this kind of corrupt system. Well, you said he wasn't a fan of Roosevelt, right? Right. And Capra, who again was just kind of one of these pull himself up by his own bootstrap thing, Mm -hmm. he was very skeptical of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. He was very skeptical of the New Deal. He was very skeptical of, you know, the WPA and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Government handouts, if you will. Sure. So, yeah. But this, in the larger sense, I think the myth of this sort of Jimmy Stewart type figure has been used by politicians mm-hmm. before and since, mm-hmm. right? It's the the lone idealist fighting against the big government corruption, right. the big money interests. I mean, Reagan used that. Yeah. Probably conscious. I mean, Reagan and Jimmy Stewart were friends. I mean, I think that was Reagan's image mm-hmm. was very much crafted in that kind of Hollywood movie style. But, like, I think Ted Cruz sort of ran Mm -hmm. that kind of campaign. I was watching this movie and thinking, I bet Jeff Flake thinks he's Mr. Smith in Washington. Yeah. It's just this kind of American myth Mm -hmm. that everybody kind of relates to and everybody wants to tap into. Well, even this idea of, like, insider versus outsider, that, that, that there is some sort of pure person coming from the outside who hasn't been, you know, what is the term, like, Trump's like in the swamp or whatever. Like, yes, I want exactly. to I need to drain the swamp. Right. Um, so this idea that this outsider would come and sort of shine a light on the hypocrisy and the malfeasance yeah. and sort of right the wrongs and make government work the way that it was supposed to work again. And, and you know, again, that is, you know, that's, that's a phantom. That is not one of these people. So taking Trump, for example, not an outsider, right? Right. Like someone who has actively been involved in elite circles does not represent the common man and whose policies have only served to sort of, you know, line the pockets of his, you know, his cronies in his administration and the wealthiest 1% in the country. Right. But he has been able to sort of traffic in this idea of being the, the sort of revolutionary outsider and many people have sort of eaten it up because I think right. we look for that person. We want that person. And we want to believe that, oh, somebody's going to come in and, and change it. Right. Um, staggeringly large percentage right. of the average American, the common man, thinks Trump is their champion. Right. And the way that it's often coupled with this sort of anti-intellectualism, oh, don't use any fancy college words, right. don't, you know, right. because that somehow Right. This sort of signals, aw shucks. Right. It's just so. Kind of good old boy. Right. Mm-hmm. So how much are we sort of poisoning ourselves with this Kool-Aid? Lisa Mundy in the Washington Post said, Perhaps more than any other film, Mr. Smith has shaped the way Americans think about Washington and the politicians who come here. Its influence is rooted in the idea that a virtuous innocent can take on a rotten political system and win. At the same time, it pioneered the view of a lockstep beltway mindset that is disconnected from ordinary America, and argued that the way to preserve ethics and clear vision is to avoid becoming a prisoner of insider thinking. That's what you were talking about, Mm -hmm. that sort of mentality of drain the swamp and bring in the outsider. Right. Which again goes back to just your question of qualifications. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, oh, the best way to fix American democracy is to bring someone in who knows nothing about politics or right. <laughs> so we blame Jimmy Stewart for that? No, of course we don't bl- blame Jimmy Stewart for that. He, you know, to his credit, one of the first things he said is, I don't belong in this job. Right. Um, so <laughs> and then when he got there and sort of realized, you know, how the game was rigged, he did try to advance a sort of moral reckoning. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't think Mr. Smith is a good guy. You can't really. <laughs> Hate on Mr. Smith, but he's very good in this movie. He is very good. I this may be the youngest I've seen him. Uh, probably, yeah. And it almost feels like he's not finished. 
Like he, he <laughs> hasn't fully yet. become Jimmy Stewart. Like I, just, I think I'm just used to seeing his face a little bit more sort of beaten down by life. Uh-huh. A little, like just a, a little bit. More of the like rear window yeah, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, just like mm-hmm. you've seen some shit. You're still trying to be optimistic. Yeah, but no, he's a babe in the woods here. He is a babe in the woods. <laughs> Which Saunders keeps calling him um, an infant with flags in his fist. But he really, he does look like a little boy wearing his dad's suit sort yeah. of walking around the halls of of congress and even in i mean his physicality in this film is brilliant like he's very good at sort of stumbling over himself and even though he's typically the tallest person in the scene he seems smaller than everyone else because he's sort of hunched yes. in, in humility and and there are um, several scenes where he sits down in right, a chair and, everyone else and he's is standing. like he looks like he's sitting in a child's yeah. chair at and a desk being taught right yep. So I think he's great. There's one scene where he is at uh, Senator Payne's home and his, uh, Senator Payne's daughter, Susan, comes yes. in. <laughs> and, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character is in love with Susan. She's this beautiful, you know, cosmopolitan DC woman. And the camera is only shooting sort of waist down the conversation between Jimmy Stewart and Susan. Yeah. And you just sort of see him fumbling with his hat. And he's sort of, you know... Switching doesn't it from know hand what to do to hand, with his hands. Right? It doesn't, Putting yeah. his hands behind his back. Then he drops the hat. Then he picks up the hat. And it's, it's a it's actually a really well done scene. Uh, and it's all it's it's almost odd in that it's the only I don't want to call it stylized, but it's a very interesting way to sort of frame that exchange. Mm. But you, it it's like this perfect visualization of how unsophisticated. He is and nervous and, you know, not confident in himself or his sort of place within that DC world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I loved him. And I also love that I think they, talking again about his physicality, the fact that he is so sort of tall and lanky. He's all arms and all legs. He is almost a physical stand-in for Abe Lincoln in Mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I love Jimmy Stewart. He was great. Did did his speeches convince you? Again, like... No. Um, <laughs> I, because Saunders starts out kind of in the same position yes. you are. And we see her sort of get seduced. Yes, she falls in love with the dream. Yes. Yeah. You can watch it. He's sitting there talking to her and her mm-hmm. eyes are, you know. Mm-hmm. At first, she's just like, you are fucking alien yeah. from outer space. Who are you? Yeah. But she she comes around slowly. She does. And she does. He talks to her about the sort of beauty of whatever random state he comes from and... <laughs> Walking through the woods and then the yeah. the sort of the call to duty that is sort of serving yes. government. But yeah, she very much starts out like, you know, I came here a long time ago with question marks in my eyes and now I have dollar signs. And yeah. it is very much like you've been in D.C. so long and you're jaded and you are no longer you no longer remember why you came. And it's it's a great sort of juxtaposition because, you know, at the start of the film, when he first gets to D.C. and we're sort of looking at things through his eyes and he's so just enraptured by seeing the yes, Capitol Dome. The, the tourism the montage. The tourism montage. Where, and he ends up in Arlington, which is just like at the cemetery. I'm like, you went way the fuck out, but okay. Um, <laughs> he, did a, he did a lot in like five hours. He did a hours. lot in like five hours. Like, okay. But we yeah. lived in D.C. for three years and we didn't see yeah, half of that I stuff. I think we rode the train past Arlington. We never actually stopped and went into Arlington. Um, but <laughs> goes to the, you know, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and there's a, you know, very sappy scene where he's standing there watching a little boy read the Gettysburg Address yeah. to like his grandfather or something, yeah. and it's this, you know. This and there's an old black man. And there's an old black man there, sort of standing there who's only like vaguely black. There was a couple times I was like, is he black or is he in the <laughs> I think, shade? I think, yeah, but I think he, was, he is supposed yeah. to be black. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there are moments like that where you get a little bit of a sort of twinge. I mean, when I first got to DC and the first time I walked past the White House, there was a moment of like, oh shit, that's the White House. Yeah, like that's sort of. But there was also a different occupant. Uh-huh. Um, and so there was more sort of affinity there of, like, that's our house now. I no, would... no, wait. When we first moved well, to yes, D.C., uh, right. that was... But I didn't go over there when that man we was there. We moved there in, like, 2006. Right, but I never went over there right. when that <laughs> person was there. I <laughs> I went over there after Obama was elected. We were there when that property we were, changed hands. Uh, we were there when it changed. Um, so there definitely was that feeling of, like, oh, my gosh, this is sort of a big deal. Yeah. But it doesn't take long for that to wear off, no. for it to just be like, okay, that's just that building over there, and <laughs> we're going to keep going. So, yeah, so, like, moments like that, you know, you sort of get caught up in it a little bit, mm-hmm. but then... It would be it would be unbearably treacly mm-hmm. without Saunders and D. 
Diz, mm-hmm. uh, played by Thomas Mitchell, the the two cynical counterpoints right. to Jefferson Smith. Jefferson Smith, on his own, would be unbearable. Yeah. But they make it bearable mm-hmm. just by making fun of it and, you know, riffing off it. But again, sort of being seduced by it a little bit. Yes. By the end of the but film, just they're all on that board. cynical bite to it. Yeah. I love that scene where they get really drunk. sitting in the bar and she's drunkenly repeating some of the stuff he said Mm -hmm. you know and Diz is like do we have to (laughs) (laughs) that sounds awful (laughs) now talk about the reporters you mentioned the reporters earlier Mm -hmm. not a particularly idealized portrait of their profession but you know what the scene where so after Saunders sort of sets him up at the beginning to make a fool of himself (laughs) in front of the press corps Uh and they of course just manipulate it and spin it to make him seem buffoonish and critical of DC and then he goes on this weird ass (laughs) punching tirade hey that's how we do things in our state where he just walks through the streets of DC punching every journalist he sees Which is problematic. Yeah, but it also had to be wish fulfillment for that. I have to think that was the part the senators liked about this movie because I'm sure they've all wanted to do that at some point. Possibly. But at the end where he ends up at the sort of bar where all the... At the press club, yeah. At the press club where all the journalists are hanging out. And they sit down and they sort of, you know, read his ass. And they're just like, you need to actually learn what your job is and do something with this instead of just this little, you know, okie doke I'm from, you know, nowhere USA. Yeah. He, naive so right. it's not Diz, gonna work Diz sits him down and right. says you know you are a buffoon right you deserve to be shown up yeah you know what are you doing here right the country needs serious men right why are you here mm-hmm. yeah that is a good scene all right well let's talk about uh senator Payne, mm-hmm. played by claude rains mm-hmm. is he right I mean, the argument he makes is this is how the system works. Mm -hmm. This has allowed me to serve the people in our state in a thousand honest ways Mm -hmm. and make things better for people. And I've had to compromise. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he does say, you know, you can't count on people voting half the time. (laughs) Half the time they don't don't vote. (laughs) Um, Which for our listeners, please don't let that be the case (laughs) on this election day. And that, yeah, so you have to make compromises. You have to do a little bit of the evil to hopefully do a lot of good. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I could name a politician, even one that I liked, that I could say is sort of 100% quote unquote clean in that way, right? Like, you do have to make compromises. That is sort of the idea behind a bicameral house and a bipartisan government. But it's never the thing you want to hear when it's your party right you never uh, because things become or maybe have become i don't know if it's more so now than it used to be almost non-negotiable so there was that um i think nancy pelosi gave a speech a while ago or or sort of was did an interview where she was talking about the need for democrats to sort of expand the tent right to include pro-life democrats Mm. and my initial response to that was like fuck them But I understand the strategy behind it, this idea that you want these sort of Democrats who are moderate or right of center on some of these social issues so that you can sort of sweep up these voters who would be Democrat if it weren't for abortion. Yeah. Right. So, no. But that's but that's where, it ha- where it's like, uh, is that a compromise we should be making? You know. It's also not going to work. It's also but. not right. It's also, I just, I don't necessarily think this is a great political strategy, but I, I understand, I see where the thinking was. Right. So I think in instances like that, you know, we want our representatives to sort of toe these hard lines to on a lot of these issues. Right. Right. And that may not be the reality of our government, at least not a two party system. You know, you want Bernie to understand the intersectionality of mm-hmm. race and class. You want so there are all these ways in which people are compromised or have blind spots. And then you as a voter have to start to play that sort of compromise game of like, Right. You 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 get so you're if someone is fifty one percent good, then mm-hmm. that's good enough. Right. You know, if, if Senator Payne is, you know, bringing home the TIF dollars <laughs> during the Great Depression. <laughs> Do we care that it's coming from a dam? So it's just, you know, those are, you know, it's hard to say what compromises are good and, and which ones are sort of evil. So what what would happen to, to Jimmy if he if he was appointed today? Well, Jimmy would not be appointed today. Well, maybe he could be. Because at this point, you need to be a billionaire to he be. Might, he might be. I mean, you know. 
<laughs> Fucking Joe the Plumber was running for Senate. That's true. That could have happened. That is very true. Again, um, we love the common man. We love these But the these common people. man is, has money. They always have, like, they have money. I mean, yeah, I think that that's sort of what we're going to see, right, in the in the coming years with people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. going, you know, a democratic socialist going into a moderate, at best, democratic party. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> We hope. We hope. So, you know, it'll be interesting to sort of see her trajectory and what she's able to get done. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's the question of, like, are these institutions sort of inherently corrupting and I, I think there's also the possibility that there are people in Congress, I don't know any off the top of my head, who are that idealistic and who are that good, mm-hmm. and we don't know who they are because they don't get anything done. Mm-hmm. We never hear from them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility. Yeah. I think the question is whether somebody like Jefferson Smith could actually get anything done right. besides his weird Hitler Youth Boys camp that he wants to set up. I don't understand that bill at all, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, yeah, I mean, and it's a lot of what we praise, particularly now given the sort of polarized environment, are those players that can, quote unquote, work across the aisles. So you right. have someone like Senator Kennedy, who had a, a very long legacy of being able to sort of bridge Republicans and Democrats on a number of, of issues. And so... That's all. That is that is what allows you to be effective within that body, and that is sort of what we tend to celebrate. But this film is very much about you know the sort of grassroots individual versus the machines. So, right. in response to this laden, conference appropriations bill, we have Mr. Smith sitting down with Saunders writing by hand (laughs) a bill for this boys camp (laughs) in response to Taylor's big, you know, media PR machine trying to smear Smith. Right. We have little boys. (laughs) With their little red wagons. With their little red wagons, you know, running their little four-page newsletters and trying to get them out across the neighborhoods um, and being run off the fucking road. being, like, murdered. Jesus. (laughs) Take it down, dude. They're kids. Anyway. So, yeah, it is very much this, like, this idea of that sort of grassroots individual movement that will beat the machine. And doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy? So here's the thing. One, that bill probably should have gone towards raising money for dental care for some of those kids. (laughs) (laughs) There was one boy that just had this all up front was open. And I just was just like, oh, sweetie. So that would probably be more beneficial and he was the kid that they chose to to give the little speech i don't know how that happened and i was just like oh that's rough you're just setting that kid up for failure that was a rough one so i would say some sort of healthy (laughs) smile project probably would have been better but anyway but (laughs) i do think i mean because we're seeing it now right we're seeing different ways of organizing and different ways of engaging voters in a way that resonates and in a way that recognizes the diversity of the American voter and what they care about. So, right. for example, so Stacey Abrams' campaign down in Georgia has been very much like on the ground, really doing get out the vote, knocking on the door work, really trying to just talking to folks. And it's about promoting an actual progressive agenda that doesn't shirk or shy away from that word. It mm-hmm. isn't a shame to say the concerns of black folks, the concerns of immigrants, the concerns of trans folks. Those low income people. Low income. Those are the, the the sort of people I am looking to represent. Right. And I'm not going to water down my politics in an effort to engage some voter block that is not never going to support you anyway. Right. Right. So things like that excite me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, people doing that sort of work, I find encouraging, and it gives me hope. Well, and you also have in some of these campaigns, you they are getting small money donations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
they are getting 10 bucks here and there from yeah. donors. So it is kind of the equivalent of those nickels and dimes that the little kids were sending in mm-hmm. versus the big money from the tailoring right. machine. Right. Um, so I think the ideals here are kind of sound. No, the ideals are sound, but I, I guess I'm saying those ideals also come from a corrupt place. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> like, the the fucking floor is rotted is what I'm like. It's just, but I, I, I do believe that you have to find a way to work within existing political systems in order to position yourself for true sort of electoral reform. So we need the wins so we can deal with gerrymandering. We need the wins mm-hmm. so that we can dismantle voter suppression laws and hopefully advance an actual proactive pro-voter agenda. So we need, you know, so that shit is important. And I think you can do that without selling out what is the true progressive base of this country, at least in some states. I mean, there is there is this definite dichotomy between the ideals expressed in the founding documents and the reality of the situation. I mean, Jimmy Stewart is heartbroken when he figures out how everything actually works. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is crushed. And I think he says a couple of times, like, you know... I've been, he basically says, I've been feeding these kids bullshit mm-hmm. my whole life, teaching them about the land of the free and the home of the brave and all of these idealistic things. And I've been lying to them. Right. The whole time. And I don't think, I don't think the movie argues with that, really. I don't think the movie restores a more idealistic view of American democracy at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a certain extent, he has been feeding them bullshit, though. Um, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, not an incomplete picture. Right. So I think it's not about it's not about him getting there and fixing it or it's certainly not about him getting there and proving that the system actually works the way he thought it did or kind of restoring it to some idealized version of government that he thought existed. Mm-hmm. That's not an option. No. It's about finding a way to serve those ideals within the existing system. Mm-hmm. I guess. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a moment, I think that moment of the Lincoln Memorial with Saunders, you know, his lowest point of the movie, he's got his bags packed, he's leaving town, right. and then she shows up. I think he grows up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, that scene ends with him saying, Saunders, where can we get a drink? Yeah. Which is this kind of leap into adulthood with her, this mm-hmm. leap into the cynical side of things with her a little bit. Mm-hmm. And even, so the rest of the movie, that's when they decide to go do the filibuster and everything. Even that is kind of this, okay, we need to work within this system. Right. We need to put on a political show. We need to put on a PR show. We need to work the media. It's a jump in sophistication mm-hmm. and kind of working the system still within the framework of these overall ideals, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is about all I hope for from politicians <laughs> is that they figure out a way to do that. Like, have the ideals in mind. That's the goal. We know the reality is not that. but And then work the system cynically to get there, mm. which is something, you know, I think Obama was not always great at. I always wanted Obama to be more cutthroat and more cynical. He was mm-hmm. such a good guy that it just <laughs> sometimes became a problem. He was a little too Jefferson Smith for me. Uh, I mean, except for the, you know, the drone warfare and all of that. <laughs> we'll leave that out of it. <laughs> but. Yeah. His, his across the aisle, glad handing. Mm-hmm. He, he, he never, you know, he didn't get too cutthroat with that stuff. No. The boys still aren't going to get that camp, though. Well, no, they might get the camp. Why do you think, think they're, they're not going to get the camp? I don't think they're going to get the camp. I think they're going to get the camp. No, I don't think they're going to get the camp. Why aren't they going to get the camp? I think that dam's going to go up. No, the dam the dam has been exposed as grass. It doesn't matter. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's a dark, dark view of the world you matter. have. Well, considered the last two years. Well, I'm not arguing with that. Yeah, I just I don't think it matters. I think he I think he'll get his I think he'll get his camp. They may be camping. They'll, next they'll get to their the grass dam. somewhere else. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that he's fixed the system, mm-hmm. but I think I think he'll get the camp. The dam will go somewhere else. So you think he continues on in his career in Congress? Uh, sure. He probably gets elected president. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Why not? I think he's a broken man. 
at the end of that. The way this movie ends, he could be dead for all we right. know. Well, no, because the page he tells us he's okay. Yeah. And he just passed out. But I, um, I do not see him going back to work <laughs> the next day. Like, okay, yeah, let's do this one more time. Well, he'll probably take a day off. He has to no, rest his not throat for one thing. He's not going back to Congress. <laughs> By the way, I read he had... He basically had some, like, horrible chemicals poured in his throat to achieve that horsiness in those final scenes. That wasn't necessary. It, like, difficult for him to actually talk. Oh, my God. Well, you know, he had to sound like he'd been talking straight for 24 hours. and It's uh, called acting. <laughs> Don't pour acid down your throat. It was very convincing. He didn't he sound was. good. He did not. He sounded like he was going to die. <laughs> So you think he just goes back and becomes a Boy Scout leader again? I'm sorry, Boy Rangers. The Boy Scouts were offered the chance to participate in this movie, and they turned it down. So. Missed opportunity. Yes, it's the Boy Rangers. Big mistake. <laughs> Big. Um. Yeah, I think he goes home. I think he takes Saunders, and they go home and live a nice, calm, rural life. I don't think so. I think I he stays know. a senator. I don't think he does. I really don't think he does. I don't know how you go back after that. Because you think he's disillusioned? Yes. No, again, I'm arguing that he is, you know, he understands how the system works, but he's going to be the idealist working within the system to try no. to get some good things done. I don't think so. He's probably not going to get reelected because he's not going to have any money behind him. <laughs> All those Boy Scouts are going to send in their <laughs> Yeah, nickels pennies. and dimes. That's, that's tough. I mean, how many nickels and dimes do they have? They've already sent what they had. <laughs> For the camp. It's will, in the jar. How long will it take to get that damn camp with that money? <laughs> I feel like you're going to need a bigger jar if you want to buy 200 yeah. acres well, of land. you generally don't want to keep, you know, government funds in a jar <laughs> on your desk. But, you know. More secure than, say, our Social Security, so. Well. I'll tell you who I think should have been upset with this movie. Hmm. We talk about the senators being upset and the reporters being upset. I think the governors should have been upset because that guy was an idiot. He was not awesome. And he was basically, but I mean, he was part of that political machine. He was one of the puppets that Taylor. Yeah, but he was just sad. He was, he was just. He a... was pretty pathetic. Yes. <laughs> Even if his, his kids were bullying him. Yeah, they were. Basically telling him to nut up. <laughs> Which is a weird scene with the rest of the movie because all of those kids work for Jeff Smith. Yeah. They're the same kids. So all of the governor's kids were out delivering, Smith. delivering flyers for Jeff Smith mm -hmm. and getting run off the road and Smacked. beaten by yeah. thugs and just, just, yes. That was a problem. <laughs> But that, again, with Capra, he's got these, like, little moments of darkness in his movies. It's like when Mr. Gower slaps Slapped him in the, the ear? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that was, what was his issue? Was he drinking or something? Um, he was, he was drunk. Oh, his son had died. He just found out his son right. had died. Yeah. But still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Capra likes abusing children. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. Did you buy Claude Rains's last minute change of heart? I mean, the whole thing was ridiculously dramatic. Him storming out, trying to shoot himself over. Like, that's just, no, not happening. I do what? Did he bring the gun? I mean, it was, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Did he just have one in his desk? I mean, if he's from Wyoming or Montana, he might have just had one in his desk. I don't know. I, I just feel like politicians are more likely to kill themselves if they're about to get caught in something and they just don't want to deal with the consequences, not, oh, I'm shamed and so I'm going to shoot yeah, myself. Yeah, even then they don't. No, they I don't. I wish more of them would, but they don't. We do not wish the people would kill themselves. <laughs> we wish people had more shame. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it felt like a very dramatic moment. But again, I think part of that is because I am looking at it from present day where people are sort of proudly admitting the various ways that they have gamed the system. And it's just like, yeah, I did that. Right. So right. <laughs> yeah. it's just, that is what it's, it's... It's Trump saying that he could shoot somebody and right. people would still love him. And um, apparently that seems to be true. Or even someone like McConnell just saying, yes, I, you know, I stole two Supreme Court seats. Right. That was my yeah. goal. So yeah, it just... You're so cynical. You started this episode being the optimistic one. I told you it doesn't take me long to swing back the other way. At all. Okay, so if Governor Rauner calls oh, you God. up tomorrow and offers you a Senate seat, you know, take it? No. I, I am not qualified. And I am okay with staying in my lane. I am not. No, I have no desire to be a politician whatsoever. I think you should take it. Why would I take it? Well, first of all, because otherwise he's just going to sell it to someone else, and that's because that's what we do in Illinois. <laughs> <clears throat> then he's going to go to jail like every other governor we've had in the past hundred years. Mm -hmm. 
So I think you should take it. I think you should, I think you can do some good. I absolutely cannot do any good. I don't have a boys group that I need to help or anything like that. You can, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't need to be. You don't have a bill? You don't have one good idea? No. Burn it the fuck all down. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not going to get any support See, for that. See, exactly. That's why I know that I am not supposed to be there. No. Mm-mm. Senators are going to be very hesitant to co-sponsor your burn it all down bill. <laughs> to burn it the fuck all down. I'm, I'm sorry. I want to get the, yeah. the the name of the bill right. Does that make a good acronym? Probably not. I'll no. think of something. Okay. But yeah, no, nobody's going to want that. No one's going to want that at all. But. Okay. Any final thoughts on Mr. Smith goes to Washington? I don't even know what we did with this. Yeah, I don't know either. Everyone should go vote. If you haven't already, if this comes out before polls close, go vote. Very important. I saw somewhere someone said something like, you know, vote for the least of us. And so vote for, you know, for those sort of most marginalized by our systems. The people most in danger of what's happening right right now. The people most in danger. That's, you know, you, you know, you can have your feelings about, you know, your own sort of disillusionment with, with the system. But so there's this really great quote from Anna Julia Cooper, who she has this quote, like, only black women can say when and where I enter in the quiet, undisputed dignity of my womanhood without violence and without suing or special patronage. Then and there, the whole Negro race enters with me. And I think maybe if we all just sort of take something like that with us to the polls of like when and where you enter, take the least of us with you. Like that's who you're voting for. And I think that that maybe can serve as a motivation if you yourself can't think of why you yourself need to vote. Right, when all else fails. Right. Take somebody else with you, you know, spiritually. But That's a good place to end. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Ikea, we've done the horror marathon, and we've done whatever this election day episode was. <laughs> I think we need something lighter. Okay. Um, so I am just randomly picking a film off our list of comedies, and I think we will watch 1981's Stripes. Okay. That's where those three dudes go to the military, right? What three dudes? Uh, Beetlejuice <laughs> and <laughs> planes, trains, automobiles. <laughs> And Ghostbusters. There are two Ghostbusters. Um, okay. That's a lot to unpack there. So, yes, two Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Yes, there it is. Um, John Candy, is that who you're thinking of? That's who's in plain Yes, okay. okay, All right. And then Beetlejuice. No. Just... Oh, fuck. That's... Oh. (laughs) Nobody from from Beetlejuice. (laughs) I had Michael Keaton in my head. I don't even know who you're picturing. Well, because, no, because it's, what's his name? Bill Murray? Yes, Bill Murray. But they both have that hair pattern thing. Like, Bill Murray has sort of Beetlejuice hair a little okay. bit. I mean, I I can see, sort of see, see how you would mix up Bill Murray and Michael Keaton. That, I'm fine with you there. You just put, <laughs> you already put Bill Murray in this movie, though. So then you got somebody else that you think is Michael Keaton. And I don't know who that person is. I said Beetlejuice, right? That's who... Right. Okay. Neither he nor someone else is in Stripes that... Right. No, but I'm saying I was picturing Michael Keaton in the Bill Murray role when it was... But you already put Bill Murray. You said three people. Right. One of them was Bill Murray. I said one of them was Beetlejuice, is what (laughs) I said. And then you said Ghostbusters, which I assumed was Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Oh, fuck, I did. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah, I fucked that all the way Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, never mind. You just added Michael Keaton in here. Yeah, I I don't know where he came from. I like Michael Keaton. Okay. So clearly you need to see this movie based on what we just... No, I got it all down, see? (laughs) Those two Ghostbusters and planes, trains, automobile go to war. Okay. That's... They probably have a stern black senior officer (laughs) who, like, doesn't like that they... He's white. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. He's white. That's a missed opportunity. (laughs) You have the stern black... Uh, you know, head officer. Would whatever. you rather do an officer and a gentleman? That's you haven't seen that either. That's Lewis Gossett Jr. as the as the drill Gossett sergeant, Jr. the stern drill sergeant. But that's who is that? Is that Gigolo? That's, yes, uh, Richard Gear. Yeah. See, I don't know names. I know what they've done. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
weird eyes. Richard Gere? His eyes don't always open all the way. He's very blinky. Yeah, that's, it's a weird Mark thing. Mark Kermode talks about that, about his, his blinky it's acting. Like that's where he mm-hmm. does all his acting. It's like the way that, uh, what's his name, has the furrowed brow. He has the eyes. <laughs> Um, now I don't even know who the furrowed brow person. Uh, you gotta give me some proper nouns here, dude. I don't have any idea who you're talking about. The Ethan Hawke. I was supposed to get Ethan Hawke <laughs> from Furrowed Brow because he has this very like. It's if basically I had started a naming here. actors, weeks would have gone by before I would have gotten to Ethan Hawke. We're supposed to be here. You're yeah, sometimes to, we are, but we're not you're here supposed now. To just know we're so, we're, that, no, we're you know, not on the same that's frequency. That's the random right white now, dude obviously. that I was thinking of. Obviously, clearly. No, that's fine. I mean, if you want to have a white drill sergeant, that's okay. I just think, you know, I like stern black men yelling at white men, <laughs> calling them maggots, telling them to drop and give me twenty. Okay, we'll we'll find some of those for you. Thank you, too. I appreciate it. Okay. If he could chew on a cigar while he's doing it. <laughs> well, of course, obviously. That would be preferable. <laughs> I like how those drill sergeants, when they get out of the military, then they become, they work in police stations. Yeah, then they become the, I'm they too old for the, this shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Police chiefs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who typically die right before retirement. They have rough lives. It's a rough character arc right there. <laughs> Until next time, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com, or leave us a review on iTunes. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a movie Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete, preferably something with a stern, cigar-chomping, black drill sergeant. Mm -hmm. Until next time, remember, (laughs) true love means making your partner watch movies they really, really don't want to watch. So my goal for this project now, my new goal. What I got to stop you there because I'm not sure what your old goal was. I didn't have one. I was participating okay, against my will. That's what I thought. But <laughs> now I have a goal. Okay. And it is to basically erase all actor names and have everyone <laughs> in the world refer to actors just by random roles or like weird facial shit. He's like, oh yeah, remember eyebrows? And he's like, who the fuck is eyebrows? But they would know who eyebrows was. Eyebrows is that guy. With the eyebrows. I don't know who the guy with the eyebrows is. It's Peter guy. Gallagher? Yes. Okay. See, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> because I live with your weird brain 24 hours a day. No one else in the world would get that. I think everyone in the no world. No one else is going to get furrowed brow and say yes. Ethan Hawke. I mean, that's like his and whole face. you just used the same descriptor for Michael Keaton and Bill Murray, which is that sort of balding pattern. Yes. So I don't know how you're going to distinguish those two. Well, one was Beetlejuice and one wasn't. <laughs> That's how you fix that. It's really quite simple. It's a good system. Thank you. I think so. Okay.